0: Welcome back to I Have to Ask with Elizabeth Hess, part of the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. Today, I'm joined by local activist and head of the Champagne urbana Tenant Union, Esther Pat. Good afternoon, Esther. Hello. Before we get into your many accomplishments, tell me a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up? And if not here, what brought you to
1: Champaign-Urbana? I grew up in Chicago, and I came to Champaign-Urbana to be a U of I student, unlike so many U of I students, I stayed. I was initially attracted by cheap rent in a safe neighborhood and the the fact that I could walk almost everywhere because I didn't have a car. And it was much easier to be involved in political action in a physically smaller place where I could get around without a car. That was really a big part of it.
0: Champaign-Urbana was lucky enough to get you. And it sounds like you were an activist when you got here. What was your earliest memory of activism? What really ignited your passion to help those less fortunate? I was raised
1: by liberal parents, and so I knew a lot about doing political work. When I first got here, actually, I didn't get involved in anything. first two years, I just went to class and hung with friends, and they you all know, got a job. But then I initially, I got involved, be, um, actually, just because it was the 1976 Democratic presidential primary. And as much as people, young people today probably don't know this, but at the time, it was shocking that the candidate was already decided before the first election. Like it was December of 75 and the ready, it's Jimmy Carter. And Jimmy Carter, I couldn't believe the first election after Watergate, the best the Democrats could come up with was Jimmy Carter. So I worked in you know, a campaign for a hopeless candidate, Fred Harris. And, and there I met Mary Pollack, who was actually a Champaign City Council member and also a resident director in Champaign residence halls. And she wanted to work on a voter registration drive to get to use the presidential election of the fall to get the students registered and then turn them out in the spring for municipal elections. I thought that was a fantastic idea. And so I got involved in that. And then from that, I got involved in the tenant union. And then I just you know started, well, then I got started getting involved. In, I started you know living on the second floor of the Illinois Union. I got involved with the ERA coalition and and just a whole lot of other things.
0: We're going to get into all of that. Let's start with the Urbana City Council. Your tenure, 1994 to 2005. Was that your first foray into elected office? Yes,
1: that's the only only elected office ever held, but it was for 11 years, three months, and I don't know how many days, so I feel I've paid my dues. In many ways. Okay, you were past president and steering committee member
0: of the local chapter of the American Civil Liberties Union. What accomplishments were you most proud of there?
1: anyone who's been in that position or any position with ACLU is most proud of is what the national and state organizations do in the courts and in the legislature and really the local chapter the main the main purpose of the local local chapter is to bring issues to the state organization. There was a, a big free speech lawsuit against the University of Illinois that that happened just before I was uh, president of the chapter, but that for the chapter as a whole that was a biggie that we I don't know that we found the case. It was Stephen Kaufman. He would have found ACLU on his own, but uh, but yeah, mostly I guess the local chapter is just you know trying to keep membership up and the ACLU issues before the public and bringing the issues of individual people that could be ACLU issues to the state organization.
0: Another fight you took up long before we heard anything about Affordable Care Act, you were a former board member of the Healthcare Consumers. Why does it seem the GOP is so hell-bent on taking away healthcare? Why is it not a fundamental
1: right of all consumers? Well, because they don't care. <laughs> Obviously, the, the main issue on healthcare is profits. The reason that healthcare is so unaffordable is the amount of profit. And the reason Republicans will fight so vigorously against anything is because they don't want to in any way hold back the the whole healthcare industry in the way it makes, whether we're talking about the insurance blue cross, blue shield, big pharma, you know, the whole bit. And it really, it just, watching the democratic debates, it just drives me nuts the way people are trying to push this this difference between single payer and public option. The Republicans absolutely hate public option because they know public option is the stepping stone to single payer. A public option will segue into single payer and that's why they're so against it. And the people who just hate any candidate who talks about public option, I think are foolish and are hurting us because they don't seem to get it. That if the votes are there for single payer, President Joe Biden or President Amy Klobuchar would shepherd the bill through Congress, sign it, and go down in history as the person responsible for giving a single payer. And if the votes are not there for single payer, but there are votes for public option, President Elizabeth Warren, President Bernie Sanders would shepherd that bill through Congress, sign it, and go down in history as the person who fixed all the holes in the Affordable Care Act. And if we don't have a majority for either of those two things, if we end up with what we have now, which is the Republicans control the Senate— A Democratic president will have to reach over the aisle, but they will have more success doing it if the president's Democrat than they do when they're Republican, and deal with whomever they, even possibly segregationists, find four Republicans who will vote for eliminating, going piecemeal, eliminating this or that or that whole in Affordable Care Act to try to make it better. And if a Republican wins for president, then we will be playing defense for four years to try to stop the repeal of the Affordable Care Act and the privatization of Medicare because that is what the Republicans want, and I wish people would really love all the issues that separate the candidates. Healthcare really doesn't because all the Democrats want to do as much as they can to fix the hole in in the Affordable Care Act, and the Republicans want to kill it. And that's it's, it's one of the, the most stark differences between Democrats and Republicans. I mean, all 21 or whatever number of people there are running to fight over public option versus single payer in the presidential race is just silly because what's going to make the difference between whether we get either is, and which one we get of those, is who we elect to the Senate and the House.
0: While we're talking about issues that separate Democrats and Republicans, you were involved in the East Central Illinois Safe Schools Alliance. Now, we've come a long way in this fight but there's still a lot of work and awareness needed. What can each of us
1: do? Well, as far as bullying in schools, the single most important thing, whether it's because of real or perceived sexual orientation, or because of someone's weight, or they have a birthmark on their face, or just somebody says somebody doesn't like them, or whatever it is, the most important thing is for, and this is changing, and this is the most exciting thing that's changed. I mean, in my lifetime, it seems so little has changed as far as bullying in school, but what you tell your kids is you stand up to it. You stand up to it, no matter who it is and what it is, You you speak out if someone's being hurt. You intervene. You yell. You go get it. You you yell, stop, stop. You go get the teacher. You bring other kids involved in it. But that's really what empowers bullies is the fear that everyone else has of getting involved. Like you tell your kid, don't you ever be afraid of anyone thinking you're gay. Don't worry about what people think, because there are a lot of times with with LGBT focused. Bullying, where kids are afraid to stand up for the victim because then they'll be. And Actually, I suppose even when it's not that with anything, the number one reason for being afraid to stand up I mean, against a bully is that then you'll be bullied, and and you got to encourage the people who are like you're not getting bullied, other people are. You know, if someone's house were on fire, would you just say it's not my house or would you call nine one one and go try to help? And that's the same thing. I'll tell you one thing, also this is just one of my little pet peeves. It seems like we went from the boys will be boys to an obsession with. With hurting people's feelings on 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 Facebook or something, and I'm not saying that that stuff doesn't matter. But bullying—I mean, the real problem isn't that someone says something. That someone says something not nice about you. The problem is the physical violence against students by other students in the schools or on school grounds. I, I don't want to help promote the school to the prison pipeline. But when a child commits an act that would be a felony if it was committed by an adult. Looking the other way for for the administration, for schools, for anyone, is just not
0: a defendable option. Esther, let's talk about the number one reason why I consider myself to be a Democrat. The government has no business anywhere near anyone's uterus. You helped create the Abortion Rights Coalition to fight the cutoff of Medicaid coverage of abortions. When did you take this fight
1: on, and why is this so important to you? We created the Abortion Rights Coalition in the 76-77 school year. The main motivation was because there was legislation in Illinois... House Bill three thirty three. I still remember the number, <laughs> and it was it would cut off Medicaid coverage for abortion, except in cases of rape, incest, or the woman will definitely die. So the Hyde Amendment had already passed Congress, and it was going through the court system, and we didn't want Illinois to be part of it. Although the bill passed, Governor Jim Thompson, a Republican, vetoed it, and the majority Democratic legislature overrode his veto. So the Supreme Court decision. In 1980, was uh, which five to four, which upheld denying Medicaid coverage for abortion, very bad decision, was a decision on both the federal Hyde Amendment and on the Illinois. On the Illinois law. And it's funny that, you know, the way you introduced the question when you said that's the number one reason you're a Democrat. In 1976, I'd say you'd be a fool, lady, if you are pro-choice and you just support Democrats, because there were a whole bunch of anti-choice Democrats. My story just just illustrates that. The Democratic majority in the legislature was anti-choice, and our Republican governor was pro-choice. When Republican Governor Jim Thompson vetoed the cutoff of the Medicaid funding for abortion in Illinois. His veto message said, "This is more than unfair. This is cruel. There's still plenty of pro-choice Republican people and candidates too. but pro-choice Republican candidates rarely ever win because the party, because now you know, the party so owns the anti-abortion stand. I suppose likewise, it's hard for not as hard, but harder. For anti choice Democrats to win too. And that took, that was years of work, and I take some credit for that, for badgering, and I sure made a lot of people angry, badgering anti choice Democrats and badgering Democrats for supporting anti choice Democrats. And we just did it for a very long time, so that now, even someone like you says, (laughs) Well, the reason I'm a Democrat is because of the the abortion rights issue. Uh, Let me rephrase it. I will never vote for a candidate that isn't pro-choice. How's that? Yes, I will never vote for a candidate who isn't pro-choice. Except, oh, I say that, but I did vote for a few anti-choice people against other anti-choice people to punish them. Or because they had too big a... A margin of, of victory that I didn't want them to win. But that's just a few times I did that. I, I don't do that much anymore. Actually, I haven't done that in a long time. I'd say probably since, when did the Democrats probably start getting it? I think since 1994, I've voted almost, Lisa Madigan, I voted against Lisa Madigan, the lying sack of whatever Lisa Madigan, who ran as a pro-choice candidate and claims to be, she, be pro-choice. And she has personally done, as Attorney General, did more to deny women reproductive choice than anyone else more than the National Right to Life, or the Illinois Right to Life Committee, or, or any group like that. And so I did vote for whatever Republican nut ran against her the last time she ran. I still do that, I get mad. The only thing worse than being anti-choice is being a liar and claiming you're pro-choice and then going and doing anti-choice. And that was Lisa Madigan. And she probably will run for office again. If if Dick Durbin leaves office ever and she runs for his seat, we better be able to stop her because she is bad news as far as I'm concerned.
0: I'm glad you brought up running for office because President Trump has now appointed two people to the Supreme Court. In your own words, how important is it for everyone to vote? It doesn't matter from president on down.
1: Why is it so important? Well, it's only important if you think women are people. And that's one of the big problems we have. And it's a big problem on the left. It's been a problem on the left for, I mean, way, way back before the modern women's movement, and it still is today. And it's still the same thing that holds back female candidates as well, is that there are a lot of people who, oh yeah, I mean, they support women's rights. They're not against it. I'm talking about about the voters now, not the candidates. But is it a real important issue? You know, is it enough for them? And it just kills me how many upper-class white men Look down their nose. I mean, politically, have a strong political position of looking down their nose on the women's movements as though it's something frivolous. Or when they talk about working class people, you know, the one time, the one of the two times Barack Obama ever misspoke was in response to the question of why are there more working class in two thousand eight? Why are more working class voters supporting Hillary Clinton than supporting you? Well, because when people, he said, when people are afraid, they cling to. And he gave the wrong answer. I won't even repeat what he said, but because but, there's no point. But. When people are, are afraid, they cling to the safest harbor. And it was very easy for for upper class, you know, high-income college educated people to support Barack Obama because you know they want vision and they want new but people who are afraid about the economy, not just afraid for others, but afraid for themselves. Yeah, a whole bunch of them just went, went to Hillary Clinton because, because they thought, well, she, you know, she knows what she's doing and you know she's got a lot of experience and all that. But also the biggie, which, and that was actually what I just said is the first thing I thought when I heard that quote. But then I thought about more, nah, it's because the majority of working class voters are women. But so many people think of working class as white industrial worker. It's an income demographic, and most are women, and a a disproportionate number are people of color. And that was why she had the support, which is nothing either here or there about Barack Obama and, and Hillary Clinton, but it's interesting how many people, even people who have very complex economic analysis about so many things, ignore the fact that women are mostly working-class workers.
0: Let's talk about the last thing that I want to bring up with you while I have you here, and that is your day job. Okay, let's talk about affordable housing. Since your time on the city council, you changed the city's building code to require all new apartment buildings to be constructed in compliance with fair housing standards for people with disabilities. You worked for Section 8 housing to increase that. You worked on mobile home rights. What would you say is the hardest thing in this community
1: for you to fight for? My Particular place on the whole affordable housing conversation is that is to just point out that the overwhelming majority of affordable housing money and the overwhelming majority of affordable housing discussion and everything it completely excludes the extremely low income households with incomes below the poverty level. It's really about how much homeowners take for granted housing, being being housed and having a place to live. Affordable housing programs like all this tax credit housing that's being built it's affordable if a two bedrooms affordable if you make thirty two thousand a year which if the person listening makes you know, 200000 you might think that that's poorer, and it is poor, but in terms of can you afford rent, if you make 32000 a year and you need a two-bedroom, I, I can find you a place. What I've been working on since 1976 is tenants' rights, and that's even harder to get attention to, believe it or not. And, and part of it is because, especially around here, it's, I mean, maybe it's like there's other places and I just wasn't an adult anywhere else. It seems like everyone in his sister is a landlord around here, and which doesn't necessarily mean that they come down on, against tenants' rights, but there are a whole lot of liberals in the state legislature, for example, people who we count on for ERA and who are pro-choice and who I like, and they support all the liberal stuff, but they don't support tenants' rights because <gasps> they've been landlords. And, they, you know, and look at what the bill actually says. Look at the law. It is so hard to care about, much less support, a fair shake for tenants unless it is someone who is their their son or daughter or their their cousin or so, or their neighbor or their secretary's daughter? Someone they care about, and then all of a sudden they're on the phone to me, Esther. Esther is like, you know, hey, sorry, but the law is kind of crummy. In fact, actually, I have a cute story about Tim when Tim Johnson was a member of Congress. Um, his one of his aides, Will Kyles, who's now on the Champaign City Council, called me because they had a constituent who was fifty-two years old and was poor and needed housing, but senior housing you have to be fifty-five. And they were wondering if there was something I could do for that person. And I said to Will, I mean, it was the old college, I said, well, why don't you tell your boss? There's something he can do because he's the one who's got the vote in Congress, not me. And that's, you know, changing eligibility requirements for these things or more money for housing, public housing for people who, who are, don't have children but are under the age of 55. But no, I don't have a magic wand in my drawer that I can just wave for you. People like me who
0: aren't landlords and no one's ever discriminated against me in renting a place, what are other ways that people are discriminated against?
1: Actually, the most common complaints we get, a big biggie around here and nationwide is refusing to rent to people because their rent is being subsidized with a, a Section 8 or a housing choice voucher. And that's and that's just about prejudice and how much of this is prejudice against black people and how much is prejudice against poor people. You know, there's no way you can really since people won't admit that it's prejudice, they come up with some other nonsense. Yeah, that that is a big problem. And in Urbana and Champagne, when we got the Human Rights Ordinances, and I worked on both of those in the '70s. Se- Section eight, we just kept in there the whole time. Champagne took it out, then we got it back in for 18 months in the beginning of 2006. But then there was an election in the spring of 2007, so October 2007, they took it away again. And then there's conviction record. I mean, that's a huge problem nationwide, and we probably would not be as involved locally if it weren't for the fact that Champaign and Urbana's human rights ordinances both originally also prohibit discrimination based on prior arrest or conviction record. And again, Urbana has held fast to it, and that's the one that came up in 1997. Three council members got it in their head to try to take that out. We have that protection, but in Champaign, we lost a big chunk of it in 1994. Although it's important for anyone listening to know that in the city of Champaign, it is unlawful to refuse to rent to someone based on a, a, a conviction record unless, now the unless is a biggie, unless they were convicted of a forcible felony or a drug-related felony and have not lived outside of jail or prison for at least five years without another conviction. Champaign City Council is supposed to be, we went to talk to them in June and took up a petition with 700 signatures and they're supposed to be changing the law. We haven't heard back yet about that. We got um, uh, Will Kyles, Mac Ladney, Clarissa Foreman, Alicia Beck and Greg Stock. And they're going to look at the list of crimes. I think they're going to take off drug possession. I think most of them didn't realize it was in there. They just thought it was drug dealing. And forcible felony, they were talking about, they they assumed forcible felony was violence. If you look at the state definition of forcible felony, one of the crimes listed is burglary. And burglary is not residential burglary, and burglary is not armed robbery. Burglary is taking something that's not yours. So if you walk into a place that's open to the public and have sticky fingers, that is burglary. This really goes more to the heart of fair housing. What is the landlord's compelling interest in your conviction record? Like, how does that affect you as a customer? And, you know, you have Tom Bruno, who's the extreme on the Champaign City Council, who constantly talks about the landlord-type relationship as an intimate relationship and compares it to a marriage, which it's not a marriage. The question is, isn't who you're going to marry? The Because que- he said, well, it speaks, the criminal record speaks to your character. What the hell does the landlord care about your character? The landlord's should be interested in, do you pay the rent, do you pay on time, and do you disturb the neighbors? When they watered down the law to throw in that five-year thing back in 94, I was one of the only or the only person to speak to that point on the conviction record. This time around, partially because I got out of the Champagne County Racial Justice Task Force and we put in our recommendation changing the Champagne law. And at the Racial Justice Task Force presentation, there were a lot of people, a lot of activist type people, and a bunch of them just jumped onto that issue. And so suddenly we had this you know, coalition of groups. So we got the First Mennonite Church and CU Indivisible and all these people working on it. And that is the only reason that the Champaign the City Council really even responded up is because there were so many different people.
0: Before I let you go, last question. I have to ask, if you could choose the most important issue for voters to focus on, and as I mentioned, for me, it's mm-hmm. keeping the government out of my uterus, what would that
1: one issue be? Oh, for me, it's always abortion rights absolutely. Women and men are not legally equal under the law in any way, shape, or form if women lose their equality, if they lose their adult status when they become pregnant. The fact that women are the people who become pregnant and not men does not mean that it's okay to have three classes. Men and women are equal, but pregnant women aren't. And that is really what the whole anti-abortion movement is based about, is diminishing women, diminishing pregnancy. You tell a three-year-old, when a man and a woman love each other very much, the mommy's tummy gets bigger and a baby comes out. But that's not what pregnancy is. Pregnancy is a total physiological alteration of the woman's being in ways that pose threats to her health and life. And if a person does not have the liberty to make the choice about whether or not to continue a pregnancy, then that person is not free and is certainly not equal. And no issue has ever been more important to me or ever will be. And I don't expect everyone else to make it as important, but I beg people to not take the attitude that we heard from well, that we, from people who try to rock the boat on things and say, oh, the Supreme Court doesn't really matter. Yeah, it does.
0: Thank you for listening to I Have to Ask with Elizabeth Hess, part of the Champagne Showers Podcast Network. Esther Pat, thank you so much for your time today. Well, thank you. I appreciate it.